unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. You know how it goes. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, your place for raw and unscripted with yours truly, Christopher Rausch, your no excuses coach, where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. But I'm starting to question that self-help fluffy bullshit because I've learned a lot about it in recent years, and I'm kind of actually even questioning changing my tagline because... Yeah, some of that stuff is really powerful, really powerful, especially in today's world. We need all the fluffy love that we could possibly get. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here. Whether you're live or on the replay, we appreciate you. Whether you're on the video cast or you're on the uh, podcast, we appreciate you. By the way, the podcast is now available everywhere you go iHeart, Spotify, all the good places. Uh, of course, iTunes, that's where most of my listeners listen to the podcast, is on iTunes in over 7 million countries. Kimberly, 7 million countries. That's how many countries I'm in. I'm just kidding with you. Kimberly is my guest and she's going to be coming out here in just a second. But ladies and gentlemen, I just appreciate you all being here every single Tuesday night, 7 p.m. where I bring the raw and scripted truth to you. The uh, the unfiltered conversations, if you will. That's a little segue to my Friday night show, the unfiltered conversation. Uh, we have raw and scripted conversations here just designed to get you to think differently about your, your present, your past and your future to get you to think differently about the opportunities in your life for where you're at. And if you feel stuck, the opportunity for the show is to get you unstuck, to get you to think differently about one little aspect of your life. If you just walk away from the show and you think about one little thing, just a little bit differently, your mindset a little bit differently, your excuses a little bit differently, your relationships a little bit differently, what actions you can personally take on your own to be accountable to change what it is in your life that's not working. Ooh, how about that? How about that mindset mastery, ladies and gentlemen, from the No Excuses Coach here on the Ron and Script Show. We appreciate you guys. We really do. And um, I just want to start off this week just by just by extending an invitation out there to you, ladies and gentlemen, who are part of the Misfits for Misfits for Life of the Kickass Nation Club. We appreciate you guys. If any of you are ever, this is true. If any if any of you are ever hurting, troubled, disgruntled, um, pain, anything that's going on in your life where you feel like you would love to have a conversation with me, please reach out to me. Please, please reach out to me. I know a lot of you are hurting. I know a lot of people are struggling right now. I know there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of chaos in the world right now. And what we're going to be talking about tonight on the show are ways that you can enhance your relationships, enhance your mindset mastery to be able to get through those more struggling aspects of life and actually not only just survive them, but actually thrive through them. My guest, my guest tonight is actually an expert in those areas. We're going to be talking about some deep stuff as far as what psycho psychologically goes on in our brain, what kind of synapses and what kind of shit goes on in here and how to rewire our thoughts so that we can have more effective relationships. So we can understand what the other person is thinking and doing so we can get inside their mind a little bit and be able to not to necessarily control it, but to be able to influence maybe some outcomes that we want. How would you guys like that? Could you imagine being able to say things in a certain way to influence an outcome, whether it's a sales proposition or whether it's your personal relationship with your significant other? Can you imagine that? Ooh, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Darlene's in the house. Darlene says, hey, 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 Rocket from Florida, 10 p.m. here. Thank you so much, Darlene, for being here. You're going to love the conversation. I appreciate you. you are amazing. She says, yes, yes, absolutely. Misfits for life except we don't spell the four. It's the four. 
misfits for life because we're just kind of like a misfit we're just all misfits we're all misfits gathered in the same place every single week you know sharing our love for one another uh we get all the different people in here the cast of characters of the misfits nations coming in here uh sharing your guys's brilliance thank you so much if you have questions for our guest of course please ask those and comments are always welcome as well we got monique in the house she says good evening lord my brain will need some more time good evening lord my Wow, my eyes are getting really bad. This aging thing is fucked up. Let me see. Oh, good evening. Oh, Lord, my brain will need more time. I said it. See, I got it right. See? All right, I'm going to do a poll. Do you guys want me with my glasses on? All kind of edumacated or more like sultry eyes? What do you guys think? What do you guys think? That is not important. That is not important. I will put those back on if I need to read anything. But ladies and gentlemen, we are gathered here tonight to experience the intelligence, the journey, the mindset, of one Kimberly Slavic. I met Kimberly on funny enough. He comes up and right in on right on spot, Joe Rogan or Joe Rogan. Fuck. I was just talking about him a second ago, Joe Ingram's show. Um, and I got to see Kimberly on there and I just really fell in love with the way she talked and the way she approached different mindset aspects of, of being able to influence outcomes. I mean, that's really important, not necessarily controlling the outcomes, but influencing the outcomes. So Joe, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you brother. Uh, it's been a while. We got to, we got to connect soon, man. Um, and Monique says right here, you are dope either way. Word up, word up. So ladies and gentlemen, without any further hesitation, please welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show, Kimberly Slavic. Kimberly, what's going on? Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. How are you? Great. I'm so excited to be here. I've been wanting to do this show with you for months, so I'm very thrilled to be here. Thank you. Yes. And publicly, I apologize for the, for the double booking situation where we were supposed to have you on earlier and that didn't happen, but life is life and the journey is journey. And, uh, we're happy here tonight. So we're excited about that. How are you doing this evening? Where are you calling from? Well, I'm in, I'm in the Dallas, Texas area and it's uh nine Oh six right now. Nine oh six Dallas. bedtime if I'm the <laughs> but I, I had a double shot of Starbucks white chocolate espresso. So I'm ready to go. You better be. You got to keep up with me. Double shot of expression. I just vibrated so hard. My bracelet fell off. <laughs> I just vibrated. So hard. I went like that. My bracelet just went, what the fuck? I can't even keep up Christopher tonight. So there's a lot of energy and excitement in tonight. So let me ask you a question. When I've been, I've been obviously talking about relationships and whatnot. Who taught Kimberly the most about relationships in your life up until the age of 20? Uh, my customers. Even twenty, at twenty, yeah. So when my very first um, exposure to the sales world was when I was a senior in high school, and I sold boots, and Don Morgan uh, called in for me, and uh, he acted like he was my my dad, and he sent me to my first sales training. It was all psychological based, and I was fascinated by the science. I never thought, you know anything about a sales job before, but man, I sold a ton of boots and made a lot of money for as a high school kid selling boots based on uh, the psychology part that I was learning. Oh, wow. Did you grow up with a psychology aspect in your relationship with your mom and dad, or was that something entirely new? In uh, seventh grade, they gave us this little assessment test to say what we should be. And Mine came out that I should be a psychiatrist. And I was so excited. I came home and told mom and dad I was going to be a psychiatrist. And my dad said, you don't want to be a psychiatrist. You want to be a veterinarian. Um, psychiatrists are all weird. They're all wacko. Um, so, yeah, he kind of snuffed that out. But it, it, I keep being drawn back into it. And while I'm not a neuroscientist, I've worked with some of the best in the world uh, to make sure that the content of my books are legit. 
And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm here to share that with you guys today. Awesome. Awesome. We appreciate that. What type of, uh, what type of work have you done in the neuroscience industry or the neuroscience aspect of things? Well, the weird thing about it is I've been doing it. I've been doing it since I was, you know, in high school, but I didn't know what I was doing with science. And it wasn't until um, probably about, um, I've got this hair. I'm sorry. There, it got it. Um, I had that problem too. <laughs> like seven years ago, I was driving from Austin to Dallas. It's a three hour drive. And I was listening to Michael Bosworth's book, How to Win, um, not How to Win Friends, um, What Great Salespeople Do. And it was all neuroscience and it was talking about storytelling and um, how physical contact, like instead of shaking hands, hugging your customers, which I had been doing anyway, and how it creates this chemical reaction in the brain and an instant connection and bond. And I was like, I, you know, I had no idea that what I was doing was so scientific. I, in, in fact, all my managers, my whole career kept telling me that I was just so, you know, lucky at everything that I did, that there was, you know, couldn't possibly be any skills or science behind anything. Uh, so when I heard the book, it was so, it changed my life and it changed my attitude because I had more confidence in understanding that there was science behind my successes. What were the top, what were the top like three things that really stick out to you still today that you learned from that aspect? Oh gosh. Number one is stop being, to not be selfish. You know, Dale Carnegie wrote a book a hundred years ago that's still relevant today about nobody cares about you or your background or what you've accomplished what they care about is, you know, what's in it for them. And when you stop caring about what you want to accomplish, which is, you know, to sell something or, you know, whatever your agenda is, and you start thinking about the person you're talking to and what will they get out of it, um, it changes everything, uh, everything. So that's number one, but it could also be number two and number three, because there's so many um, subcategories to doing that. Mm -hmm. And so what, what, what changed in your life physically when you, when you adapted those principles in your life, if you were on one path, how did that path switch for you? You know, I think basically what I just said all this time, I, I think I lacked a confidence because the people that were supposed to be my leaders kept telling me, gosh, you're so lucky or oh, your timing is ridiculous. And nobody ever asked me, what are you doing differently than everyone else? Why do you keep being number one salesperson globally? Nobody ever gave me credit. They thought it was just, you know, dumb luck. And so I believed it too. And when you, some of the things you're going to learn tonight, I hope it has the same impact on your viewers' lives too, that they can take some of the science and learn how to control the people around you and help medicate them. Like if you know someone that's depressed, like you started your show off tonight, if you can tell someone is in a down mood, if you adapt your communication style and you can change their brain chemistry and potentially even save a life. Ooh, love that. I love that. Talk to us in, in basic terms, because you and I know what we're talking about. Um, the people that are joining us may not have familiarity with the conversation process or the, that process. What is like the, the basic foundation or what is it you're explaining so that we can kind of jump from there? Okay. So I, a lot of your viewers probably have dogs or pets. One of the things Del Carnegie talks about in his, in his books is that, and remember a, a hundred years ago when this book was written, How to Win Friends and Influence People, 
he didn't, they didn't know a lot about brains because they didn't have the brain scanners and the technology to look at, you know, brain waves and, and the impact things had on brains. But he knew that he was having an effect on people because he quit making conversations about him. He would get people to talk about themselves. And when he would walk out of the room, people fell in love with him. And like Pavlov's dog, when he would ring a bell and give the dog meat, eventually every time the dog heard the bell, it would salivate because it expected the meat. If you do the things that Dale Carnegie taught, you will affect people like that. And if you're in the sales world, just by being a salesperson, you're actually having the opposite impact on people. You're releasing a really bad hormone in their brain called cortisol because people don't like to be persuaded. They like things to be their idea. And by adapting your communication style to be about your audience instead of yourself, you'll avoid that cortisol release and you'll stimulate things like serotonin and oxytocin, endorphins, you know, just, just as a few examples. Mm. When I think about when I think about that for me, one of the biggest epiphanies that I had in the communication relationship process was understanding my boss had sent three of us to what we called marriage counseling. We were three individuals with very different personalities, uh, very dynamic personalities. She says, I'm going to send you this thing. And we're like, all right, whatever, fuck off. And we all go to this thing. We're like, mm, whatever. And we all come together at lunch. And we, we, after the first half of it, we realized that each of us had different types of learning styles. Like mm -hmm. I was more of an audio auditory person. Mm -hmm. uh, Sharon was more of a visual person. David was more of a kinesthetic person. And so once we started learning about those different styles, it, it occurred to us, okay, when I yell over the partition to Sharon, hey, Sharon, can you take a look at a 6,001 and tell me how many pieces do we have 250 in, in, in stock? And she's like a visual person going, ah, and so she's going to react a certain way. And then you got David over here who's got to go 6,001s. Okay. Those are on the aisle next to the 623s. Those are okay. Those go pretty fast. We just had a sale. So he's more like that. That was when I really started understanding the difference in, in being able to understand who my audience was and be able to say, okay, listen, if I walk into somebody's office and they've got a bunch of stuff everywhere, hmm, indication they might be a visual person. I'm not going to walk in there and go, hey, the third quarter stats are in and we're 17% above budget and that equals 3.4% inflation or something like that. That visual person is going to go, what the fuck did you just say? What, what are you doing? But if I walk in and say, hey, you got a second? Can I show you something? That was for me. What was the, what was the situation? with your training that really kind of illuminated things to be able to send that message to the recipient in such a way that they actually got it in their own language. Yeah, I think it was about 1996. Um, I was with Computer Associates in Islandia, New York. They sent us up there for a month of training and we spent a whole day doing Myers-Briggs and DISC. And we didn't just learn about the different personality types we learned how to adapt our communication style for those, those personality types. Like if you've got a high D, which is, you know, get to the point, get to the facts. Don't, I don't want any fluff. Um, you have, if you're a fluffy person and you tend to talk too much, you're going to just stick with numbers, you know, statistics, results, and uh, keep it brief and to the point. Mm. So that was, that was a huge impact because I, I never really thought about changing myself for my audience, but that's was kind of the the foundation for this whole Visnostics thing, where you stop thinking about yourself and start start talking in a language that your audience wants you to speak.
Mm, right. So you could be able to so you could be able to reach them. Mm -hmm. Going back again to when we were when you were a kid, what type of communicator were you? What type of communication uh, background did you grow up in? Oh boy. <laughs> this is a rat this could be a rat hole. So my my dad doesn't like women. <laughs> and so um his whole I guess purpose in life was to make me a submissive. Uh, passive, quiet, know my place, woman, female, you know, that men are the leaders and women are not. And um, that was a really difficult environment to grow up in. And so once I got old enough to get out of the house, that's when, you know, I started rebuilding my own self and my own confidence. And I think I, I was, I was very attracted to sales because of the psychology, like I said, but also because um, if anyone's ever been in sales, uh, I mean, it takes a special person to be to build a career in sales because you're constantly being rejected. Oh, yeah. But I was so used to that. I didn't look at it like rejection. I looked at it for that affirmation that one that one person that would buy from me just uh, made me feel so good. It was a it was a drug. It was a drug. It was an addiction. And I understand that now, now that I understand more about brain chemistry and and things like that, but it's such a powerful thing to to feel that you've had that kind of an impact on another person that they trust you enough uh, that they want to buy from you. It's very oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know that. I know that feeling as a coach. I mean, when people come to be like, Chris, I need you to help me with my life. That is so powerful. It's like, oh my God, I'm so honored to be able to get into your life and help you change and, and metamorphosize some of the stuff and the beliefs that you had. Yeah. So understanding that later in life, how did, with, with you gaining this experience and gaining this technology and gaining this, this confidence, how did that impact your relationship with your dad down the road? Did you guys find harmony or did, did he start to respect you or was there constant adversarial relationships? It's weird because I was texting him today. We don't, we don't talk a whole lot. Um, you know, he's not, he's not going to change and that's fine. He has his thing. And, um, thankfully, you know, they tell, they tell women, that you will either marry someone just like your dad or you'll marry someone completely opposite. And I married someone completely opposite 30, 32 years with a wonderful man that is nothing but supportive and encouraging. It's it, you know what, 30 something years. And I don't take one day for granted because of the experience that I had with my father and watching what my mother had to go through too. So mm -hmm. uh, when you get a good one, it's they're a keeper. Oh yes. Oh yes. They're a keeper. All these people are keepers over here. We got Darlene saying, hello, hello, hello. Joe saying white chocolate is one of my dancing names. <laughs> okay. What's up white chocolate? <laughs> yeah. Joe, let's see what else Joe's got to say. Psychiatrists do what we do in sales, listen to people's problems, but they get paid less. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember I've, I've had a few therapists in my life where I've actually coached them through a therapy session. It's been fun. Yeah. I was yeah. telling somebody that the other day. I'm like, I had a therapist get on the floor crying when I was there. I'm like, you're supposed to be helping me. And I just asked her a couple of questions because I was, I didn't like her questions. So I was getting bored and I asked her a couple of questions and then she started crying. I'm like, shit, oops, sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to do that. What's up, Mary Sterling? She says, good evening, beautiful ladies and handsome. Gents. Yes, we got another handsome gent here in the house. Ladies and gentlemen, this is totally off topic, but my son got a haircut tonight. I took him to get a haircut. His long hair is gone. I'm so devastated. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit. So you talked about confidence. You talked about shifting your own mindset and talked about a little bit of addiction. Um, 
obviously right now in the world, we have a lot of stuff going on. We have, let's just call it chaos. We have a lot of chaos internally, externally. Um, we have a lot of vibrations, a lot of energy that it's often people are really second guessing and questioning their sanity. Um, you know, uh, what could we share with people to get them to a point where they can understand that they have the opportunity to shift their mindset wherever they're at, at this particular moment? Yeah, I'm so glad we're going this way um, because I think the world really needs this conversation right now. All right, so brain chemistry is chemistry and it's addictive. And if you, if everyone knows someone in their life that is, you know, negative Nelly, right? Somebody that just cannot see the glass full. They only see the empty part. You know, um, there was a, there was a SNL character uh, many, many years ago where, you know, they'd be having a really fun time at a party and this one girl would be like, yeah, but the, and went, wah, wah, wah. Yeah. I remember the name of the character. Anyone? Her name is Karen. Okay. <laughs> anyway, if y'all can remember who I feel, that was. I feel bad for Karen's. I do too. I feel sorry for anyone that has the name Karen today. It's so sad. But anyway, you the reason that you find people that are just in a rat hole of negativity is because they are addicted to stress. Or if you know a couple that just fights, fights nonstop and you don't understand why they're together, they're addicted to that intensity and that it's cortisol. And where does that come from? Where does that, where does that addiction to that intensity come from? You know, I think we all are as human beings, we tend to be habitual in by nature. And so we kind of find comfort in things that are repetitive uh, in a pattern. So if you're in an abusive relationship, you're comfortable with that because that's what you know. Anything that's not abusive is uncomfortable because it's not what you're used to. But there are ways to get around it. But you have the first thing is you have to identify that you've got the problem. And then you can start working around the changes that need to take place. Cortisol, I got it. We got to talk about cortisol because the world right now has never had so much cortisol being, being created. Cortisol is the stress hormone. It's highly addictive. And what it is, it's like a tar substance that connects to your neurotransmitters. And here's where the problem is. It takes you down the road of depression. And the reason that it's so hard for people that go into depression to get out of it is because of that cortisol sticky substance keeps you from getting the four good hormone chemicals that you want, which is oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, and endorphins. But if you've got your transmitters all clogged up with cortisol, you can't feel happiness. You can't feel joy. You can't feel sexual stimulation. And that was one of the things I was hoping we could talk about tonight is sexual stimulation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the raw description show. Let's get going. No, can do that one. But there are ways that you can self-medicate. And or that's stimulate. Yeah, that too. But yeah. You probably know more about that than men do. <laughs> I, oh, yes, I do. I wrote a book. You want to read it? <laughs> no, no, seriously. <clears throat> what you're talking about is massively important. Um, the cortisol level, of course. So what what can we do to break that addiction? 
you know, because I because I, I think I goes I, I hear what you're saying. You're talking about certainty. People getting that certain predictive behavior, and it's like, okay, as long as I know what this is going to happen, this is what, how I can respond. This is I'm in this cycle. I'm in this cycle. How do people break that cycle once and for all? And more importantly, the second part of that question: How do they break that cycle if they're with somebody who does not want to break that cycle? Okay. Well, the first thing that I would recommend is to go see a doctor. I personally am not about taking drugs of any kind. And I certainly don't do any pharmaceuticals either, but that's not, that's just me. And some people can get a lot of relief by, by getting the right dosage to get the brain chemistry, right? Cause as long as you've got the cortisol, um, your transmitters are just, they're clogged up and it's really hard to get the self-medicating unless you've got a lot of discipline, but they have meds now that will get through the cortisol and will get you your oxytocin. Um, you know, some people, the reason that they get on drugs is because of, of that, that high that they want like dopamine, for example. Um, are, do, are you familiar with, with like how cocaine works and Ritalin and all that? So dopamine oh, Ritalin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know how that works. I have ADD on crack. Gotcha. Well, why don't you talk about your, your experience with that? Like what got you to go and get on the meds and how has it changed your life? That's a really great question. This is not my interview show. No, but seriously, no, I, I, I was just telling a story. We just found out my wife is diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, so here's something funny. Talk about books. About books. We're going to talk about your book, but I'm reading this other book right now called the ADHD and the marriage effect, the effect on marriage. This is, this is good stuff because all these years she's like, Oh, your ADD bugs me. And this, that, and the other thing. And it was funny because we didn't even know that I had it until I came back from a business trip. I came back from a speaking trip and I was on the plane. I was reading a men's health magazine and the author, the, the, the writer of the story was talking about how he took his son. The people at school said, we think your son has ADD. And this is way back early two thousands. <clears throat> and, um, the, the writer of the story is telling, he goes, the doctor's asking my son all these different questions. And, and inside my mind, the writer's saying, he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when the first really diagnosis of adult ADD or ADHD came into play. And the guy, the guy was reading this and he went to his doctor and he said, Hey, you know, is there an opportunity for me also to get on medication or is this just something kids have? And so the writer talks about his process of going through medication, the process of him being able to ultimately complete stuff and to shift part of his ADD symptoms to enhance his relationship and enhance his own confidence in the world. So I was just like, okay, what do I do? Because I check all those boxes. I check all those boxes. So I went to doctors and I got diagnosed and they were like, oh yes, most definitely. The interesting process of that journey was that I tried probably four different sets of medications to try to help me. They put me on antidepressants and I was totally, totally, totally against it. But my girlfriend at the time who became my wife was like, just please try it. Just please try it. And so at one point I was on Wellbutrin, Lexapro and something else. And it took my complete personality away. Um, I wasn't as distracted as before, but I was so melancholy and I was so bland and so not energetic that I was miserable not being myself. So then I got off all those medications. Don't do that without the doctor's approval, by the way, because I did that and it was a little ugly, but I got through it. I wadded up a screen door because I got cranky one day and I was like, wow, I did an incredible Hulk thing. And I was like, oh, I think I, because I stopped my medication. But ultimately I kept trying and I kept trying. So then I tried Vyvanse, I tried Provigil, then I got, I tried uh, Adderall and then wound up, Ritalin has been more or less, you know, something I can use that helps me a little bit, but I have not found the panacea to be able to control a lot of it. The Vyvanse did it for a second, but constantly now I just incorporate 
accountability, mindset accountability. I have my notes. I have my triggers. I have my things that keep me on track. Mm -hmm. I use that occasionally to when I'm like doing writing or something like that, where I just really need to try to focus. But it's been a, it's been an incredible journey of, of just trying to figure it out. But ultimately, we all have ADHD or ADD nowadays because we have these stupid things called cell phones that are constantly mm -hmm. blinking and buzzing on us. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I don't even think I have to make a comment on that. I think we all we all know we have it. I I wish, you know, I didn't know how much time I was spending on my device and social media. I wish I didn't know that. It's it's yeah. it's a bad habit. The screen time report every week. Yes, yes, I'm need that report. So you're addicted to your phone. How do we break that addiction? I don't know if we can. Can we? Yeah, I mean, I've gotten I've gotten pretty good at making myself put it down for several hours a day. And it's amazing what I can get accomplished when I do that, just stay away from it. And then I can't wait to get to it to see what I missed. <laughs> FOMO. Right, right. Oh, FOMO. If you guys don't know what FOMO is, fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. I know so I know somebody personally who deals with that quite a bit. She's in the other room. She won't hear this. Uh, Darlene says a paid friend. I'm not sure what that was about. I'm a little late on my comments here. John H says, good to know. Good up. Good. What's up, John? Good to see you here. Thank you so much for being here. All right. So thinking about, thinking about that confidence aspect of it and thinking about the ability to question where it is that we are now. Um, what are some natural opportunities? Cause I know you're against pharmaceuticals and drugs. What are some natural opportunities for people to reduce their cortisol levels? Okay. So I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm, I like to, to give you my sources so that you know where I'm getting this information. You so, were looking at your phone. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I actually have page 28 and 29 um, tagged for this conversation because this was a lot of research, but I summarized it in my book. So um, we were talking about dopamine because we were on Redolin and so forth. So let's, let's talk about the four chemicals and I'm going to help you guys know how to self-medicate. So if you, even if you are taking some kind of pharmaceuticals, this is something that you can do to supplement it and maybe even reduce your dosage if you do some of these things. I think most of the people know some of this stuff, but we were talking about Ritalin. You know, Ritalin and cocaine are very similar. And a lot of people don't know that, but it's, it's, um, it's the same thing as dopamine. I mean, you're releasing dopamine when you do Ritalin and you do cocaine. And the dopamine is what's called the feel good hormone. So, and it's important because it affects your memory. It affects your motor skills. In my opinion, this is one of the most important chemicals to understand about your body. And there are four things that you can do to control dopamine. And part of dopamine is to feel like you've accomplished something. Like, do you, Chris, Christopher, do you make lists, to-do lists? I mean, if you're married, you probably have a honeydew list that never is empty, right? Nope. I have, I have lists all day. That's how I keep myself on track. Well, I have priority. I have my priorities and my sub priorities. If you know anyone that is a list taker, my husband is a chronic list taker. I mean, he, even after he does something, he will add it to the list so he can check it off. <laughs> you want that endorphin rush? You want that check box? I know it. I study that shit. That is dopamine. That's a it dopamine is. release. So you mm -hmm. can control dopamine and feel accomplished by completing a task. So, and it could be mowing the yard, but you, even if you don't want to do it, you still feel so good when you complete something. And that's why the checklists 
people don't even realize why they're really doing checklists. It's, it's not just to be organized. You're actually medicating yourself mm -hmm. and doing self-care activities. Like for me, it's pedicures, getting my hair done, those kind of things. You, you obviously do working out. Looks like you've got some music stuff. You know, what other things do you do to, to make yourself feel like you're, you're taking care of yourself or growing you read a lot, obviously. I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I drink. I smoke. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I do. Um, I spend a lot of moments. I spend a lot of time with my family. That's really good. I'm grounded. But yeah, working out. Working out for me has always been my quote unquote drug of choice. I've worked out consistently since I was 18 years old. I joined a gym and I found out, oh my God, you know, talk about endorphins and talk about feeling of accomplishment and everything. Mm -hmm. When I, I have not worked out in the last year and I've noticed that my mood and my mindset because of COVID and everything, I didn't get a chance to go to the gym. And mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I had back issues. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take a break because I used to work out pretty hard. I'm like, I'm just going to take a break and get tone and just kind of just take it easy for this year and see what happens. And I noticed that my mental mindset went progressively more and more negative until the gym opened back up and I started working out again. And now it's like mandatory. I got to go there. I got to get my time in because I just feel so much better. I get the breathing going because we all know, because I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, we're, a lot of us are shallow breathers. And so we got, oh, I feel so tired. So what do you want to do when we're tired? Short-term gratification. Oh, I'm tired. I'll go do this. Oh, this is fun. Like you said, you get the little dopamine hit. Um, so I always encourage people just to take a couple of deep breaths, just get some oxygen in their system. Oh, I feel better. So that's what working out does. That's why people, when they smoke, they feel better because they're, they're breathing. I've told smokers, I'm like, if you just took that thing down and you just did the breathing, you'd still feel good. Mm -hmm. So you said something earlier about working out. You were talking about endorphins. So when you do work out, you're doing two types of medication. Like you said, you're releasing endorphins, but you're also checking off something on your list, right? So you're getting dopamine and endorphins when you exercise. So mm -hmm. good job. And um, so back to the how to medicate on dopamine. This is my personal favorite one to do, but eating food. <laughs> Get someone you like, go have some, you know, drinks and food. And it is a huge dopamine release. If you're eating something that like is forbidden or it's a treat or a luxury, that is just dopamine heaven. Mm. Yeah. Forbidden. Why, why is forbidden attractive? And, well, for me, it's lobster bisque because it's so rich and, you know, it's a delicacy. You just won't eat it every day. So I get super excited when I get to eat that and I eat it very slowly so I can savor it. And I, I know it's the, the dopamine that I'm feeling when I eat it. What is your food that makes you feel good? Your, your treat that you eat? Pizza. Pizza? <laughs> I love pizza. Okay, so do you pizza. eat a lot of pizza? No. Oh, no actually, we, just had, we just had pizza for the second time in three months on Sunday. Cause we had like a little effort moment. We're like, should we, or shouldn't we, we already had our one cheat meal. But we're like, you know what? Let's just have it. Let's just enjoy a pie. We take care of ourselves. We have a good time, but uh, yeah, lobster <laughs> bisque. No, thank you. I had, no, I had, I had that at Disneyland at the, what the, whatever that, that private club is. They came and brought me this bowl of something. And I was like, what is this? And they're like lobster bisque. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll try it. Oh, it's nasty. So good on you for being able to handle that. 
what's your wife's? What's your wife's favorite food? Geez, you're gonna put me on the spot. I'm glad she's not watching. Um, my wife's favorite food, steak. Steak, that's a good one. Oh yeah, she loves red meat. Yeah. Tears your, off the bone. Are your listeners typing anything like what they like to eat or how they um, met? Says I love pizza. Okay. Angel says that. She had, Angel says here. She goes uh, working out my mind. Uh, working out is my mind and my body energizer. Absolutely. So, what other things do your pages there say? Okay, so on dopamine. Um, I only have four things listed, you know, completing a task. We talked about the checklist, doing self-care activities, uh, eating food. It's why it's so hard to diet, by the way, is because of the dopamine release that we get. It's so hard to stay on a diet. And then it's hard to stay on a diet. It's about focusing and and intention. You know what? I admire you for that. But the majority of people, as you know, don't stick to a diet. So that's why they don't. When they have a big enough why they do. I have people come to me all the time for coaching about that. They're just really? at the wrong, they just have their they just have the they just have their energy focused on the wrong spot. If your mm-hmm. energy's focused here, then that's where it's all gonna go. But you just gotta have a big enough why. If you don't want to die early, then I can get people to diet. If you want to die early, then keep doing what you're doing. That's what I tell but, people. And they're like, Oh my god, I don't want to do that. And then I'll suddenly just have some leverage points. But yeah. I totally understand what you're saying because some people are in that victim mindset. Well, Brain chemistry is addicting, whether it's, you know, cortisol or dopamine or any of the others. Usually one of these is going to be if you do a self-reflection, you're addicted to one of these types of brain chemistry in your habit. So it's kind of a neat thing to do to go through the list and kind of go, huh, which one is my, you know, um, brain chemistry of choice, you know, instead of drug of choice. Right. Right. But, you know, as far as dopamine, celebrating your little wins. So whether it's something like um, I'm going to I'm going to help my kid a little bit more or spend an extra amount of time with my family in the evenings, which, you know, that's one of the things that my husband and I do. He, he works so hard and I'm going in different directions. We have, you know, our date night that we we do certain things together. And that's that's, we celebrate those little wins that we, that we make time to do these things. That's celebrating your little wins. Mm -hmm. And since you, you brought up endorphins, endorphins are the pleasure hormone. So that's in, 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 I can't say this word. I don't know what opioids, opioids. Thank you. I was on those for a while. Were you? Oh yeah. I have chronic back pain. I was on them for a long time. How, How long? Uh, from 2006 and then I quit in 2017 for two years. Then I had back surgery in 2019 and then I quit him again last year and haven't had any. Was it you, want to talk about, you, want to talk, you want to talk about quitting? I mean, when people say they quit heroin, quitting painkillers, I was on five Percocets a day, 10, three mm-hmm. twenties. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I'm a strong person, but man, that stuff gets a hold of your system mm-hmm. and you're just like, uh, get it out of here, get it out of here. But you're like, Oh, I'm in pain. I'll take it. And finally one day I just said, Nope. And I went through cold turkey, just like I did everything else. I quit smoking cold turkey. I quit drinking cold turkey. I quit everything cold turkey. It's like, let's go. Let's bring it on. That's awesome. That is really, you've got a lot of discipline. I've been through a lot of stuff. (laughs) That's why I teach people how to do it. That's why I'm the no excuses coach. Sounds like everybody has it. Every single person has that discipline. Every single, like, I wish I had your discipline. I'm like, you have it right now. If I put a gun to your son's head and said, you need to do 50 push-ups, you would figure out how to do 50 push-ups. Mm-hmm. Leverage. It's just about leverage. Everybody can do it. 
If I told you to go make $20,000 this week, you might be like, oh my God, that's a lot of money. And you can't do it immoral or illegal or unethical. Like, oh my God, $20,000 in one week. What do you expect from me, Chris? You know, there's a lot of hard times going on. But if I suddenly put a gun to your son's head and said, you need to do the same thing, or otherwise I'm gonna pull a trigger in seven days. Okay, I could do this and 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 I'll do it, do this and I'll go do that. I'll go off. I'll go. We suddenly become resourceful. Mm-hmm. What, what, what chemical is that that kicks in when we become resourceful? Well, I would say that that would go back to the dopamine because it's, you know, celebrating your wins and completing a task. Oh yeah. It's all about leverage, babe. It's all about leverage. We got Ray in the house. What's up, Ray? He says, good evening, misfits for life. Thank you so much for being here. We got John H commenting here from LinkedIn. Thank you for being here from LinkedIn. I just recently started publishing to LinkedIn. So thank you for being here, John. I appreciate you guys. Anytime you guys have questions, please, please ask myself or Kimberly questions. We appreciate those. We'd love to have your engagement and uh, appreciate each and every one of you for being here. Okay, so I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, cause I just realized we've been talking already for 40 minutes and I want to respect your time because I know where you're at, um, with everything that's going on right now and thinking about not only COVID, not only social injustice, not only all the different stuff going on, but then you add to that, which is something that people are talking about, but not necessarily talk about the cancel culture. I was in leadership, but I was in my corporate job, my last corporate job for 26 years, uh, exited as director of operations and, and oversaw uh, quite a few people, both domestically and internationally. And I think at that point in time, I, my leadership was great. But now I think about what's transpired over the last 18 months. And I think about the cancel culture. I think about all this different stuff. Um, what is your recommendation for leaders to be able to harness the mindset to have the ability and the wherewithal to have empathy for what people are going through right now in this day and age? Well, I will tell you that even before COVID, one of the major things that I've seen lacking in leadership is just taking time to understand the people on your team and to, to take time to take time to have meetings with them, to talk, to let them come up with the agenda. Because most leaders have an agenda. You have a weekly meeting with your leader, your one-on-one or whatever it is but they have things they want to accomplish. They want to talk about your pipeline or what's important to them, whatever your job is and how it's affecting their job. Cause it all, you know, it's all connected, but a true leader is going to empower their people. And that's such a, again, positive brain chemistry for them to give them that empowerment to say, you know, we're going to have a one-on-one meeting every week. And out of that hour, 30 minutes is going to be your time, your agenda. And let's talk about what's important to you. It could be personal. It can be professional. It can be um, planning your career. It can be coaching. Whatever it is that's important to you, you've got 30 minutes every week with me. It'd be great if you could do it every day, but that's that's not as as easy as it sounds. It sounds like babysitting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, because I was like, Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, she recently got laid off and she's a vice president. And I asked her, I said, so what has it been like being in leadership over the last 12 months? And she said, oh my God, Chris, she goes, it's been crazy. I mean, she talked to me about the fact that she had one of her staff come to her and say, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. People are coming at me from all different sides and I don't know what to do. And so in my brain, I already had the idea of what to do. I was like, it just, it's just, it's innate, you know? And I was just like, okay. I said, so what did you do? And she starts talking about, she goes, well, you know, we got together and we came up with a plan. We decided, okay, what, what procedures were not in place that were, you know, we could put into place and all that. And so she worked with him and did all this other stuff. And she goes, Chris, he came to me one day and said, I'm really mad at you. You didn't trust me to do my job. You interfered with my stuff. And now I'm mad at you. And I just sat there and I looked at her. We were having lunch. I was like, what the fuck? What? 
You collaborated with him. You cared about him. You answered his questions. You did everything. And he came back to you. And now I'm hurt because you helped me. I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not in corporate anymore. Those are the things that I'm talking about. And especially now with the cancel culture, what did you say to me, sir? You're like, I was making a joke. Well, Christopher said this to me, you know, I would be like going crazy going, okay, I better write that down in what context I said that just in case six months from now or seven years now they come back and say, Christopher said, hey, it's a nice chest. And I was carrying a chest, but I thought it was about my boobs. You know, that's the stuff that I'm really concerned about in, you know, the sensitivity of what we have to deal with the workers, but also the mental health of the leaders trying to still be leaders, but be empathetic and forgiving in what people are dealing with. Yeah. From, from what I have witnessed, one of the most difficult things is the Gen Z's that are in the workplace today. So Gen Z's and millennials are very, very different. They don't even get along. There's never been two generations so close together that don't get each other like millennials and Gen Z's. These are studies and these are things I, t I write about in the book, but a millennial they do still remember VCR tapes and DVDs. And, you know, if, if they wanted to watch something that wasn't available, they, they understand that disappointment. Gen Z's, they're an on-demand generation. And, you know, even college, before COVID hit, I would talk to people that had their kids in college and they were annoyed because they were spending all this money and their kid never left their dorm room because they got their, their meals delivered. They didn't have to. So when I went to college, when you went to college, when millennials even went to college, if you didn't attend class, then it affected your grade. But not with Gen Z's. The professors now are saying, you know what, come, don't, I don't care. I'm here to answer questions if you want to come. Otherwise, you can watch the replay at tonight. So there's not a lot of going to class. Um, we, our generation, we played outdoors. We had social skills. And because of these devices, you know, the a whole generation doesn't know how to have a conversation because they t they get a text message. And so they can sit there and think about the response and not maybe not text right away. They have a few minutes. So they, their their communication style and skills are weak. But the biggest thing that I'm I'm most concerned about is this this need for affirmation. You know, like they judge each other based on how many followers they have. And the more followers you have, the more validated you are as a human being. And, mm -hmm. and I, I see a lot of depression in the Gen Z's because they feel inadequate. So I think as a leader, being able to pull this out in people and help them, help them. So here's something very important. Like if you don't remember anything else we talked about today, this is so important. Nobody can make you angry. Nobody can make you cry. Nobody can make you sad. You are the only person that can control how you respond or how you react to someone else's behavior. But we've got a whole generation that really doesn't understand that accountability. So we as leaders need to be able to go to these people and help them find that validation that they're so, so very hungry for. And I'm not saying, you know, wipe their nose and things like that, but we have, we have a very narcissistic world now. No. I mean, it's more narcissistic than- Is I, Joe still here? <laughs> is Joe here, by the way? Cause usually he's commenting more. He, he, was, he was commenting, he did the white chocolate thing and then I think he bounced out. So I liked, 
um, everyone likes Joe because Joe makes people laugh. And laughing is such a great form of, of brain chemistry. I'd like to see more laughter at work. I'd like to see more laughter in relationships. And we're all drawn to people that make us laugh because they're medicating us, right? Mm -hmm. And most of the time when somebody goes in to see their manager, or their leader, it's usually to talk about the problems. And, and this translates too with your customer base. I had a customer that they were hemorrhaging pretty bad. They were losing customers like crazy. And we, we looked at how they were conducting their meetings with the customers. They would start out by saying, okay, here's all the problems and here's how we fixed them. But what they were doing was they were reminding the customer constantly that there was a lot of problems instead of going in and saying, here's all the things that went well, here's all the successes that we had, and then have a celebration together to, to um, you know, like, like we said about endorphins, celebrate the the accomplishments and the tasks that you've completed. There's not a lot of that going on in leadership or in customer um, care dynamics. No, that's, that's so true. It's so true. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, I want to shift gears for just one more second. And I want then I want to talk to the book, talk about your book because I have, I, I have the former version of it right here. Viznostics and sale, Viznostics sales and marketing, a tremendous book. Um, but I want to talk about your new one because I, I I didn't realize you had a new one until earlier. And I was like, oh, she's got a new one. But let's talk about something that's super important. Then we're going to segue into that. Um, obviously, with everything going on and we're talking about chaos and whatnot, there's a lot of conflict. What are your ideas for conflict resolution within the home? With, you know, Mom and dad are arguing. The kids are arguing. Everybody's stressed out. You got family members maybe staying over. What are your recommendations for a conflict resolution um, so that people can save face uh, and, and maybe have the opportunity to have more enhanced conversations to have deeper understanding of what it is that people are going through? Mm -hmm. So the problem with most families today is that everyone is going in their other directions. You can be at a, if you watch families today, they'll be sitting at a table together and everyone's on their, on their cell phones. So nobody's interacting. They're, they're together, but they're not. So, you know, having a family night, having um, having an hour a night or a day, whether it's in the morning or the evening, where the families come together, no TV, no devices, no nothing, but just talk about what's important and make that a habit. That That's such a key word. And you're so good at your discipline. But we as family, we 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 put each other last and everything else first. And we need to start bringing the family to be the most important thing. Like, for example, my husband has a very stressful job and he comes home and sometimes I'm the, you know, the punching bag. And not, I don't mean literally, but I mean, he comes home and I can feel, I can feel his energy. He's just like beaten down. But our dogs, we have little Maltese, they go and greet him. They're like so happy to see him. And when he comes in, He's, you can see the weight lifted off of him because those dogs are so happy to see him. They don't care that he's had a bad day. They don't care how old he is. They don't care how much money he made. Nothing of that. They just love seeing him. Why can't we treat our family like that? Why can't we treat each other that way? Yes, 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 yes. So when he got home today, he was in a really good mood. And I said, hey, I'm doing this thing tonight. I just want to try something. And so I, I took him over and I gave him a big hug. And he goes, what are you doing? Do you need your back popped? And I, 
I said, no, I, I don't. And I was just like holding him. I wouldn't let him go. And he goes, oh, you're hugging me. Okay. <laughs> and I go, I'm releasing oxytocin in you. Do you not feel it? And he was like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Actually, it feels really awkward. Because <laughs> I don't do it. Don't do it enough. So I need to start having more of a discipline to hug my husband more so it doesn't feel awkward, that it feels normal. And, you know, he can have that same response from me as he does with the dogs. Ooh, ooh, what you just said was so spot on. I was just listening to, and thank you for sharing that, Kimberly. Um, I was just listening to The Psychology of Success, the second version with Dennis Waitley. And in there, he's talking about the book, The Psychology of Success, which is a great book. But he's also, more importantly, he's talking about his perspective shift and now being 88 years old and talking about, you know, the, 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 the guy that's interviewing him is basically talking about, you know, so what would you do differently and kind of talking about parenthood. And he came up with such a magnificent question. And I love questions. I actually have a, a, a dry erase board in front of me. I'm, I'm coming up with like the 20 questions that I know if I can ask somebody that if they're, as long as they're honest, there is no way they cannot hold themselves accountable. I want like the most powerful questions that there possibly can be. And I'm coming up with them. I'm not researching them. I'm just coming up with them as I talk to people and I'm putting them up there and I sit there and I, how can I tweak that? Because I'm just making it fun for myself. And what he said, and I wrote it up here. And I, because I love it because it, it shifted my perspective immediately. He says, am I being the blank for my, so I, I, I have a hard time saying it that way. So am I being the dad that I would love to be, love to have if I was my son, Jackson, mm -hmm. am I being the dad that my son Jackson would love to have right now, right now? Mm -hmm. So like we were camping we were, we were uh, glamping in our trailer and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was in his, in his little cubicle, you know, playing with his iPad and we were watching movies and having drinks and just chilling. And I sat there and I thought about it. I'm like, am I being the dad that if I was camping right now, if I was a five-year-old camping with my dad right now, am I being that dad? No. And so I immediately said, you know, let's turn the TV off. Let's go outside and play. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, ooh, am I being the husband right now that I would want to be if I was my wife? Yeah. Like you said, your wife comes home from a business trip. If I was, if I was the wife, what kind of husband would I love to be? So putting ourselves in those people's opportunities and sitting there saying, Hey, what can I do differently? How can I shift that is amazing. So thank you for sharing that. Talk to us about the book and where people can get it at. And, uh, and what, what I have to ask you, what prompted you to change? I mean, cause this thing's a Bible. What prompted you to change? What prompted you to write another one? Actually that, that book that you have is my flagship book and the re and it's actually a rewrite from the original book because my original book was about my career and I teach not to talk about yourself. So what was great was when the first book came out, there were so many success stories of re my readers. I gathered them and half that book that you have, the back half is customer successes and how they are executing the principles that I teach. Um, this book is really not intended to be sold. So oh. I'm not pushing this book. Oh, okay. this, one, this one, it's called Biznostics for Leaders, but it's my workshop book. And so when people do workshops with me, this is this is our workbook, but it's it's written differently and it's it's very science. It's I, I focus more on the science here. The book you have, I have written that for a specific audience, people that are ADD, right? People that don't finish books usually. This is more for the D personalities and discs. get to the facts, stick to the, you know, the science. I want to know the results. That's what this book is for. And so it's overpriced on purpose on Amazon because I don't want people buying it. I know that sounds weird, but I buy them and take them into my workshops. And then I can walk people through them. And it, 
this is a weird book too. I've got a lot of QR codes in here. So you don't have URLs. You can hold your phone up and it takes you to articles and videos and stuff. Um, I don't have that in my other books. And I, that's why this is made to be for a workshop. Oh, gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. What else are you got? What else are you working on now? What's your next book going to be? What's your next thing going to be? Um, so there's three books that I'm co-writing. Uh, one of them is Viznostics for Educators, uh, Educators and Learners. So um, this lady, Sherry Hall, she's finishing her PhD. She wants to have PhD on the book. So her, her paper's already been written and we've already kind of co-wrote it, but that book will be coming out pretty soon. And there's some there's a neuroscientist that I'm actually writing a book with so that we can focus more and really get into the neuroscience um, for people that really get into that stuff. I think most of my audience would go into a coma <laughs> reading that. And then, you know, focusing on relationships because people think that, you know, psychology and diagnostics is a manipulative thing and it's not. It's it's about being unselfish to help the people around you release the right brain chemistry. And we really didn't get into those kind of details today, but but that's what understanding how brain chemistry works will allow you to be able to know what to do to to create brain, the right brain chemistry in the people around you. So I'm going to do a book that's not business related, but is personal focused. And that is a great idea. I can't even believe we've already blown through 56 minutes. I knew we were going to have a lot, a lot, lot to talk about. I knew it was going to go in different directions. Where can people get a hold of you to continue the conversation with you, Kimberly? You know, I really like to talk to people on LinkedIn because then I can look at your career and what your background is too. Um, but you can also go to Viznostic Selling on Facebook and connect to me there. Um, so those are the two places that I interact with my readers the most. Awesome. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to make sure those, those notes are in the comments in uh, the show once the show is posted. So thank you so much for, for sharing those. Um, any final thoughts that you want to close us out with before I close us out? You know, the thing I want to say to your, to your audience is, I, I may not know you right now, but I want to know you and I want to help you. And I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know if it's personal. I don't know if it's a relationship. I don't know if it's professional, but please reach out to me because this isn't about me. I, I don't make money on books, but it's the most fulfilling time in my life because of the lives that I'm impacting and changing. And I want to do that for you, but I want to help you learn how to do it for others. And if we all could take that approach in life, the world would be a much better place. Kimberly Slavic, thank you very much on the Raw and Unscripted show. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful message. I appreciate you so much. We're definitely going to have more conversations. We'll have you back on the show and talk about those advances that you're making and dig deeper into the neuroscience of that. Um, I just wanted more of a cursory overview to get to know you, to share you with the audience, and just just talk about whatever came to mind. Like I told you in the pre-show, is like let's just see where it riffs at and see where it goes to because um, whatever is good, we've impacted some people's lives already. Angel saying, "Amen." Um, she also comes back in here. She goes, that's a hard feat to accomplish. Also says here, negativity equals less positivity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ray saying great content and grateful. Thank you for your time. We are thankful for your time, Mr. Ray. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Angel comes back and says, was a great evening. Enjoy it. Have a, have a good one. Kimberly and Christopher Roush. Good night, everybody. We appreciate you guys being here. Kimberly, I'm going to place you backstage. Don't go anywhere. I'm just going to close out the show. Um, 
Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Kimberly Slavic on the Raw and Scripted Show. Um, this is a show that you might want to go back and watch again and make sure you're taking notes on things that myself are saying, things that uh, Kimberly are saying, because we went in a lot of different directions tonight, but I really wanted to give you an overview of what Kimberly's expertise is and get you introduced to her so that you can go out and get her book. I got her book on Amazon. So Viznostics Sales and Marketing, it's beautiful. It's got, it, she said it exactly. She's, there's lots of pictures and lots of things, how it all interconnects together. And I apologize, we're going to dive more deep into that book, but I figured, okay, we can just, we can focus on that later. Introduce you to Kimberly, introduce you to the conversation. But again, like I said, at the top of the show, my intention for the show is that you walk away with one shift, one perspective nod that you can choose to implement immediately. So what is it going to be for you? Is it going to be conflict ma management? Is it going to be getting the book? Is it going to be looking at your cortisol levels? Maybe you're going to get those checked out. Maybe you're going to decide to start working out a little bit more. Maybe some doing some breath work, whatever it is. I encourage each and every one of you, including myself to walk away from these episodes with just one. Because you just think about that. There's 52 shows a year. That's 52 actions that you take, which are like compound interest. You think about compound interest. You put 20 bucks in the bank and all of a sudden, well, this is back in the old days, it would actually compound and it would actually grow money and stuff like that. But you get what I'm saying. Once you start doing things and taking actions and taking responsibility for yourself, guess what? Your confidence changes. Your endorphins changes. Like Kimberly was saying, you start building this, this cycle of positivity. You start get this energy. Like, what can I tackle next? What can I go for next? Like I said, if you're in a shitty situation, it's your fault. You're the one that's choosing to be there. The book, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, right there over my shoulder. Go read that. I tell people all the time to go read that, and they don't. Go read that. Nobody can tell you how to feel. Nobody can put you in your box. Only you can allow that. If you choose to have that victim mindset, you will continue to have the victim out outcomes. If you choose to switch that, and by all means, take this opportunity in life. Life is doing a huge reset for all of us. This is your opportunity to stand up and say, listen, no more. I'm not going to be comfortably miserable anymore. I'm not going to be complacent. I'm not going to be mediocre. When did it become acceptable for me to do this? When did it become acceptable for put on the COVID-19? When did it become acceptable for me to stare at my phone for 25 hours? When did it become acceptable for me to watch Netflix more than I read books? When did it become acceptable for me not to take care of my health? When did it become acceptable for me to do this? Start asking yourself better questions, ladies and gentlemen. You'll start getting yourself better answers. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm the No Excuses Coach. That's why I bring this every single week. I now have the intention to monetize it, to do advertisement. My wife asked me, she goes, when are you going to monetize your podcast? I'm like, I'll give a fuck about that. I care about showing up every single week, every single week, so you guys know I'm going to be here. So you guys know I'm here every, every seven days a week. I'm always here for you guys. I'm always encouraging all of us to sit there and take the chances that we need to take, take the risks that we need to take because we're living life. We're living life. We're not existing in life. And I didn't want to start the show out on this, but I want to, 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 um, to dedicate the show to my buddy, Ron Moreland, who unfortunately took his life on Saturday. Uh, Ron and I had known, known each other for over 30 years, off and on different phases of our life. He was a good buddy of mine way back in the nineties. Um, unfortunately he lost his battle with depression and you know, you just never know when people are going to be here and when they're not, we never know when we're going to be here and we're not going to, we're not going to be here. So I want to end the show thinking about this. I was thinking about time the other day and I was thinking about perspectives and sometimes we all play the someday game. Oh, someday when this is, then I'll do that. Someday I'll do that. And I started thinking, I'm like, if I knew I was going to die in two weeks, what would I do with my life? What would I do with the moments that I have? Would I spend a bunch more moments with my son? Would I be kissing on him, telling him how much I love him? Would I be writing him handwritten notes? Would I be doing all that stuff? Would I be putting things in a place so that when I did go, that I was sure as shit that everybody who knew I loved them knew it, but yet we don't. 
And literally two hours from now, I could have an aneurysm. I could have a heart attack. I could, something could happen. But yet all of us sit there and think that we're going to live forever. Or we think that someday we're going to get to something. Each and every one of us, including myself, because I say this to myself, anything that goes on in my brain, I have to take it. I have to be congruent. Otherwise I would not be able to coach. So I invite each and every one of us to just do a little bit more every day to be in the moments, the moments. That's all that matters. Not the outcomes, not the results, not the ego, not all the bullshit, not the validation, not the significance, not the likes, not anything else. The moments matter most because if you're really in the moment with somebody, how magical is that? If I'm in the moment with my son, how magical is that? If I'm in the moment with my wife, how magical is that? If I'm in the moment with my friends, how magical is that? If I'm in the moment with you right now, how magical is that? But so many of us are pontificating and theorizing and speculating and judging and doing all this fucking bullshit, keyboard warriors crap, instead of fucking being with your family, instead of doing shit for yourself. Oh, I can't. I'm too stressed out. There's too much going on. I can't cope with it. Start taking responsibility for yourself. Start taking responsibility for your actions. Start taking responsibility for what it is that you put in your brain. I deal with it too, guys. Guess what? I woke up a couple of weeks ago and I was in a bad place. I was like, ooh, but I know what to do. Threw on the audiobook and I went for a walk. And I said, I'm going to walk until I feel better. And guess what? I walked until I felt better and I came home. The rest of my day was great. So you have to have things in place a music playlist, a workout, meditation, somebody to talk to, a favorite movie, whatever it is that might be. Start your day off right. But please, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, please be in your moments. All right. I love each and every one of you. If you're struggling, whatever please reach out to me if I can do anything for you during this time for any family member. I'm here for you guys. I love you guys. We'll see you here next Tuesday on the Ron and Scripted Show. I love you guys. Stay kick-ass and stay classy. We'll see you next time.